Hello, I'm Rudolf Romer. Uh, I'm a physicist here at the University of Warwick and to the left of me is Andrea Fischer, um, my PhD student and we've been working at some piece of exciting research for the last, I think, two years and we'd like to tell you a little bit about it. It's basically a pair of particles which is created when you shine a light onto a semiconductor material. So when you shine a light onto the material, um, a particle of the light is absorbed into the material and this causes an electron to become promoted from what's called the valence band to the conduction band. And when it's promoted, it leads behind another particle, which is positively charged, which is called a hole. There are two body systems, and as soon as you move away from just considering one particle, the physics that you're dealing with just becomes that you're dealing with just becomes so much more complicated. You have to take into account the interactions between the particle and when we're considering them on our donuts, on our rings, where they are in relation to each other. We don't really solve the true problem of what the excitons would look like in nature. We have to make a very, very simplified model. And the simplified model that we make is if sort of this, my left hand is sort of the electron and my right hand is the hole, we say normally they would interact with what you probably know sort of from school physics by the long-range Coulomb law. They should see each other however far apart they are. But the closer they are, the more strongly they see each other. And what we had to do in our simple model was say, okay, they don't see each other unless they really touch each other and then they see each other strongly. Well, quantum dots really are artificial atoms. The simplest case is the hydrogen uh, atom. You have sort of the, again, positive nucleus here and an electron sort of roughly circulating around it in, in, in the simplest model. So the electron cannot escape the so-called confining potential of the nucleus. And quantum dots really are our way of now making nano-sized objects artificially in the laboratory and hence confining the electronic charges in a small area and creating hence artificial atoms. Suppose we have this plate here, I take a glass of water and I'll spill the glass of water on the table. And we all know sort of from everyday experience that we will have droplets of water forming. In laboratories they use certain type of semiconductor on a clean semiconductor for example surface. When you do that you get very small nano-sized objects, so 10 to the minus 9 um, a thousands of a million of a meter, basically small objects, where you have these little droplets of semiconducting material, and then you can shine light into that one, generate the excitons, and sort of can can confine the, these these artificially generated particles in. So it was actually discovered by a PhD student, and what they did is they wanted to—it's called annealing—they wanted to anneal their quantum dots, which just basically means putting them into an oven and heating them up. And it turns out that they left them for a bit longer than perhaps they should have, they meant to. And they came back and they found that what happened was that the centre of the quantum dot had been blown out and landed on the outside. And it was actually a sort of volcano-like structure which they'd created. Something very similar happened to us in our equations. Sort of, We did this research not knowing what would really come out of this. We looked at it from a different perspective. And the switching function that we have, being able to store the ectones for a long time, that only happened sort of after we've been looking at at the results for quite some time until we finally realized, oops, there's something interesting yeah. there. I mean, it wasn't our original goal yeah, to, to trap light. And the only thing to point out for this graph is you see that many of those colorful lines, they reach a maximum and then go down, but some of them, they actually drop and then go up again. And this drop, when this so-called oscillator strength reaches zero, that's actually when we have perfectly dark excitons. And it was when sort of we looked at this graph that we both realized hey, there's something interesting there. In order to use electronic current, you have to be able to switch it on and off. 
Now with light this is very difficult. The sun goes up in the morning, goes down in, in the evening, um, but we can't really not control this. And hence, if we have a mechanism by which we can controllably store light when it comes in, store it in an electronic way, and then release it at will, we can think about things, for example, like coupling light straight into the electronic circuits that we're having. Because that's basically what this is. We convert light, it shines onto these little rings, it makes these electron hole pairs, and then we can do something with the electronic hole pairs. We've just converted the light, but we could even afterwards, sort of, whatever we've done with this, we could say, all right, now send the light off again and, and let, let it do something else with this. One important difference between a quantum dot and a quantum donut is that a quantum donut is what's called not simply connected. And this is really what gives rise to the interesting properties that we already mentioned. For example, oscillations in, well, we've seen these oscillations here of the oscillator strength as a function of the magnetic flux, also in the energy of the exciton as a function of magnetic flux. And you wouldn't get this in a dot. It also allows you to put a magnetic field through the centre of the ring and actually have no magnetic field on the radius of the ring itself. What we are measuring is an effect that classically would not exist. Classically, A, you wouldn't have the excitons, but then the excitons, um, even if you would have them, they wouldn't feel what we call the Aronov-Bohm flux. Um, it's, an, it's a challenging concept for beginning physics students to realize that actually the magnetic field that we sort of seem to know from little magnets is not the proper description of what happens. You have to talk about what's called a vector potential. It's a very sort of mathematical construction, but it has reality. And we have in these rings a situation where the magnetic field is actually not in the rings themselves. There's only the vector potential, which classically you, you can't measure. But quantum mechanically, we know it couples to the wave function of this quantum mechanical object, the electrons or the excitons, and hence we see these oscillations. So it is something that is forbidden now on two, or let's say it's quantum mechanically on two reasons. An exciton doesn't exist classically, and an Aronov-Bohm effect is not measurable classically. Our model has even another component, because an exciton being an electron and a hole, electron having negative electric charge, and the hole, the shadow of the electron, sort of the leftover positive too much of a charge, when they form this bound state, then it's a neutral state. And this neutral particle, again, should not feel any of that outside magnetic and electric field, and even not the Aronov-Bohm flux. So something that is you know, forbidden three times sort of to happen in, in the classical world is happening. And it's happening because we know in quantum mechanics we have what's called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Although the electron and the hole are on top of each other, form a bound state, they're not sitting at one point, they have to be spread out across the ring. And if the rings are small enough, and hence we need to use these nano-sized rings, uh, if that spreading is big enough, then it's basically the wave function of the electron hole can see each other on the other side of the ring. When we tickle the exciton with a magnetic flux, it actually starts to wiggle. Right? It sees each other, it interferes with itself on the other side, on the other side of the ring. Let's get the light. Can you hold the light? Let's get the donuts. No quantum donuts, but real ones. Um, let's get our idea of a magnetic field. Is this strawberry gem, that's the, elect the electron, and blueberry gem, that's the hole. What do, I, what do we need as we well? We have a, a plate bit. for the electric field as uh, well. Suppose now this is our donut-shaped object. 
And what we have is sort of light hits that one. And this light has a certain energy. What the energy does, it generates now this exciton, which means it generates this electron hole pair. And um, we want to demonstrate this with red marmalade for the electron. Shine the light. So the, the electron goes into an excited state and leaves its shadow there. So let me turn it a little bit like this, um, which is now um, the electron and the hole. And they form a truly bound state till I have a mixture of blueberry and strawberry jam. It is supposed to spread all across the, around the ring now because it's a truly bound state. The rings are small enough and they um, bind and we don't really know where the electron was and where the hole was before. We just have a spread over exciton all across the ring. We've got two things that we can tune. We've got the magnetic field which we're going to represent by this chocolate finger. And as we already spoke about, the magnetic field is actually zero at the radius of the ring, but it's non-zero. Right, so there's no chocolate on the donut itself. Exactly. The magnetic field of chocolate is just in that little finger there. And there's also this additional in-plane electric field, which is represented here by the plate. And so by tuning these two different fields, we're able to get the exciton in a state where the electron and the hole are separated, and they cannot recombine and re-emit the light. So in order for the light to be emitted, you need the electron and the hole in the same place. So if you can hold them apart, then you stop that from happening. So shall we, shall we have the hold, holding apart situation? Yes. I want to draw that. So with this electric field being strong, so on this side of the plate, let's say, we have the electron on one side. Sorry, Andrea. I'm getting hungry now. And the, the hole on the other side. Right? That's the situation when they're now separate because of the electric field. And again, that's the situation that you see. These, these two dots tell you that um, the hole is sitting at position 0 and at position 2 pi. In terms of angles, 2 pi is just 360 degrees. So it sits at one side, this side. And the electron sits at the opposite. If the angle goes from 0 to 2 pi, the opposite is pi. So the electron sits really at the opposite. And these are actual plots of these wave functions that we construct in that simple model. Right? It's not something we think about, it's something that once we saw this picture at the bottom, we thought, how can it happen? And then we looked at this and we saw, yes, actually that is what is happening. And this is called polarizing the exciton. As we looked at before, this is the oscillator strength, which tells you something like, what's the probability of this electron hole to recombine? And it's plotted as a function of the magnetic field. But we do it for different electric fields, which are these different lines. And as you increase the electric field, that's going down the graph here, to example for this orange line, and you see, as Rudo said before, you see it going to zero at a certain magnetic field. So it's really necessary to tune both the electric and the magnetic field to get this oscillator strength to zero when the electron hole won't be able to recombine, they won't be able to re-emit the light. You can have now microscopic methods um, where, where people can see individual atoms really, so it's, it's, it's amazing what they can do. That technique is called confocal microscopy, it's really light microscopy, you can look at single uh, nano rings and you can shine in light and, and you can really measure what is happening. This was a nano-sized donut. Attaching a wire would be like attaching the whole table to it. And you want to have one contact on the other side of the contact. What you would be measuring is the properties of your contacts of these wires and not the properties of the donuts. And hence you have to do it uh, optically. When you have to really look at it with proper microscopic methods. And this original oscillation that we talked about that got us started, um, that's based on some, some work I did with a uh, colleague, Michel Reich, from the University of Utah about 10 years ago. And um, 
it's one of the surprises in the field that when we did this initially, people said, um, don't publish this work because we will never have these rings in existence. And within half a year, people build these rings. This sort of accident in the laboratory happened and people build these rings. Now you can make these rings, you can control the rings in the way that we, we talked about, and now you can go away and say, all right, now let's use it, build a device, for example, where you put these rings on a, a little lattice sort of type structure, um, you attach leads, I mean, contacts with the electric field, you put in a magnetic field through it, and you can start actually storing and releasing light uh, at will. You can think about using this as displays, you might even think about using it as sort of some, some form of lashes, you load it up with excitons and then you fl flick a switch and then thousands of them immediately at the same time release the same form of light. Because that's the other thing, you can, you can control from the size of the, of the non-rings, you can control at what frequency or at what color the light will be when it, when it comes out. You can even think about things where you use that model and don't apply it to just light, visible light, but apply it to light emitters or frequency of electromagnetic radiation, radiation emitters at different frequencies. It is a very basic research that we did, we are theoreticians. We stumbled on something which is interesting and we're very keen to sort of see it move forward, but what most likely what will happen is someone will move it forward and will want to do exactly the things that I told you about and then they discover something exactly orthogonal to that which is also useful and no one ever thought about before. And that is really the joy in, in sort of doing this. We haven't ever eaten <laughs> one donut, we're sort of looking forward to doing this now. Which one do you want? Do you want the... the I'll have the next one. Okay, I'll take the, I'll take the stable one.